Hello, my friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This one is called She Thought He Was the Gardener. Because how can I let Resurrection Sunday pass without a sermon? I just got back from tour. Got back from uh, Boston, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, and Washington, D.C., otherwise known as the DMV, Maryland, Virginia. Um, And seriously, you people, so much love and joy out there. Before that was San Francisco, Sacramento, Santa Cruz. Um, And by the way, Chicago, I am coming your way this week. Uh, Chicago, then Minneapolis, then Milwaukee later this week. And uh, I was so thrilled to go out and do this tour because of talking about the holy and what it means in the world we find ourselves in. But this this has just been unreal. So a thousand thanks and love and shout outs to all of you who have come out on uh, this tour. Oh, by the way, I have to tell you this story. This is the best. I'm at my desk in the back house and on the desk is a bag some, packed up with a week's or two weeks of clothing a stick of deodorant, some earplugs that all belong to my 17-year-old son. There's some guitars stacked over here to my right. My son, there's a video camera. My my 17-year-old boy Preston is leaving in a couple hours to go on tour with one of his bands. And tell me if this isn't amazing. One of the venues they're doing is a venue I just did on this Holy Shift tour. Is that just the best? <laughs> The White Oak Music Hall in Houston, Texas. All of you Houston friends, you know what I'm talking about. We had a night recently, didn't we? But can you imagine the joy when my son, I don't know what, a month ago, was like, Dad, I just got the routing where I'm going. I'm doing one of the same venues you did. <laughs> Is that awesome? Oh. Seriously. I mean, now there's a small detail, the fact that the venue has multiple rooms and he's doing the smaller one and I did the bigger one, but who cares about the details? Are you with me on that? That does not matter. We don't care about the details. We care about the poetry of it. We did the same venue, or he's about to do the venue I just did. And like, uh, so yesterday we went to Trader Joe's and got like peanut butter and jelly sandwich stuff, you know what I mean? So that he have food with him in a bag in the back of the van, because it has to be a van, right? a van that hopefully will survive the drive from California to Texas and back and all the various states they're going to. (laughs) So I am doing this, she thought he was the gardener podcast with a mic in between all of his stuff that somehow got stacked on the desk. Um, Just pure joy, right? And it is Resurrection Sunday. Now, some people call this Easter. Um, and if you want to chop the balls off resurrection, call it Easter, right? No, I mean, that's fine. Easter egg hunts, fine. Chocolate, fine. Nice dresses, fine. Fine. Great. Awesome. But resurrection is something else. And I have noticed how many people haven't ever heard resurrection, I would argue, in its proper context, as the story originally gained its momentum and power and resonance and force. Um, so how could I do... You know, how could I have uh, Resurrection Sunday pass without talking about this? And honestly, normally these episodes are way more outlined and way more, like, I, uh, you know, way more pages of exactly where I'm headed. Can you hear that paper? But this is literally, this is just an off the cuff. I jotted a couple of things, but this is just, uh, 
you know, when I get back from tour, having talked quite a bit, the last thing I want to do is talk some more, but I just had to. So I just turned this microphone on. Here we go. A couple of uh, thoughts, riffs, rants, um, a couple of things that deeply move me about this resurrection story. So let's go to Gospel of John, because I want to give you why she thought he was the gardener. The Gospel of John, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. By the way, pause, tangent. Those of you who are twitching at the thought of a resurrection sermon, probably because when you've heard people talk about this particular uh, event and you've heard sermons, it was more like a courtroom where somebody was trying to convince you that somebody died for you 2,000 years ago, and that should have something to do with your life here and now. And it all just felt like, what, huh? And it just raised all these questions, but not the good kind of questions, the kind of questions that leave you just sort of whatever. Um, so hold on, because I want to take you through this story. And one of the things to think about as you read this as a human story that people told that did something to them is just to simply ask yourself, why did this story have such resonance 2,000 years ago? And if you begin with the human, you might actually make your way to the divine. Are you with me on that? So just hang with me and uh, notice a couple of details. First off, what John tells us is that Jesus was executed as an enemy of the state. So picture Guantanamo Bay, orange jumpsuit. He's executed horrifically. And then a man comes along, Joseph of Arimathea, asks for Jesus' body and John tells us at the end of chapter 19 uh, that at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb, and no one had ever been laid in this tomb, and a group of them laid Jesus in this new tomb in a garden, okay? Then uh, Mary, one of Jesus' first followers, shows up later, and on the first day of the week, and this is huge, on the first day of the week, she shows up and she stands outside his tomb crying. And as she weeps, she bent over to look into the tomb. And there are two angels in there. And one of them says, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who was it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener. Mary said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him because this is a woman who is not messing around. <laughs> Once again, of course, women on the front edge of history, women getting it before everybody else. But in this case, she sees Jesus in the garden and she thinks he's the gardener. Now, this writer, John, is sly, he's clever, he's subversive. These gospel writers have loaded their stories and accounts with a thousand different references to a thousand other things. So in Jewish consciousness, whenever you read an idea or a detail, just ask yourself, where does this occur earlier? So what's all the stuff about a garden? Why is he crucified near a garden? Why is it a garden tomb? Why has no one been laid in it? Why does she wander around in the garden looking for him? And then when she sees him, she thinks he's the gardener. Now, remember, these gospel writers are always telling you all sorts of other things. And I would argue that a garden for the first audience of a story like this would have been like, wait, where does the whole story begin? Because in the Jewish consciousness, the whole thing starts in a story about a garden of Eden, the first, as you might call it, 
creation. But the first creation, essentially, these human beings, obviously the human story, we have all this power to create the world. We have all this creativity, we have all this ingenuity, we invent these tools, we have language, we have all this propulsive need to do something with our energies, and yet we have the tremendous capacity to make a mess of things. Are you with me on that? We can take it in one direction or we can take it in another direction. We can use language to build up, we can use language to tear down. We can invent fire to cook and to warm, and then we can also burn the whole thing down with that fire. You know what I'm talking about, correct? And so the first creation, we as humans, in many ways, took all of this sacred, holy, creative power, and we did all sorts of good with it, but we also, in many ways, continually made a mess of it. We resorted to violence. We had no imagination. And now John tells you a story about another garden, and he tells you about a resurrection in this other garden. And I would argue it's because at the center of John's telling of the Jesus story, he's talking about a new creation. There was the first creation, but now there is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So when she thinks that Jesus was a gardener, come on, are you with me on this? I, I, I think it's beautiful, funny, clever, subversive, subtle. She thinks he was a gardener. Yeah, because it's a garden and he comes to bring a new creation. A garden is about cultivation. A garden is about the diversity and generativity of something new being planted and something new coming to life. And he's buried in the earth and then he rises. So this story about death and rebirth, about a seed that falls to the ground is buried with soil over it. Every time you've eaten anything that was planted in the earth, there was like a seed, it was buried in the earth like a tomb, and then that seed rose up out of the earth and brought you life. So when John tells the story about a garden, he tells you about a burial and then a rising. He's telling a story about cultivation. He's telling a story about the generativity of the world. He's telling a story about a new creation because the question from the very beginning in a garden was, here, you're here, do something with it. Take creation somewhere. You've been giving these holy, sacred energies. Steer it somewhere. The story has been about the ongoing creation of the world. And so this resurrection story from the get-go was read. There's a new creation bursting forth right here in the midst of the old one. Now, that first creation story from the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis, that story sort of was edited together and gained its, gained its power in Babylon when these Jewish people found themselves in exile. They had been crushed and conquered by a military superpower, the Babylonians, who hauled them away to a new land, to a new city with new songs and new food and new people and new language and new stories. And so when you've been on the receiving end of violence... When an empire has its boot on your neck, you are going to be particularly sensitive to what kind of world we are creating. Because when people use their creative powers to bully, to manipulate, 
to degrade, to humiliate, to conquer others through force. When people use their power and they lord it over the powerless, you know what I'm talking about. That raises questions about what kind of world are we creating. So that original creation story about cultivation, about a garden, about what you're going to do with this power that you've been given, it had very real political, military, economic, cultural, religious implications, because the question has always been, what kind of world are you going to create? And so this resurrection story, this resurrection story is about a garden. It's about the reclaiming of a garden. It's about a reclaiming of a new, it's about the birth of a new creation, which I would argue is about the goodness of creation. Resurrection is a wholehearted, buoyant, unapologetic affirmation that this is our home. It's the wholehearted affirmation of this world in all of its messy physicality, soil, sweat, sex, surfing, art, politics, science, business, raising kids, law, planting a garden, all of it. Resurrection is about an affirmation of this world and the goodness of this creation. Come on, are you with me? Raise your glasses. This is not a story about escape. This is a story about engagement. See, for many people, the resurrection story, the Easter Sunday, it became about, hey, someday, because of what Jesus did, you can go somewhere else, sometime else, and do I don't know what. It kind of sounds boring, <laughs> unless you like choral music. But I would argue that's a, a, a massive misreading of the resurrection story. But the resurrection story from the very beginning has always been about the affirmation of this world in all of its materiality and physicality, selling insurance, having a yard sale, teaching in a school. Are you with me on this? <laughs> Fixing the plumbing, all of what it means to live in this world. It's not about escape from this world. It's about engagement from this world. It's about eating better food. It's about taking better care of your body. It's the wholehearted affirmation. If you think, especially the Jesus story, incarnation is where it starts. The divine and human in the same place. It's the divine blessing, favor, and affirmation of this world in all of its bloody, sweaty, dirty sensuality. It's about aesthetics. It's about the importance of line, form, design, Resurrection is a joyous, buoyant, wholehearted affirmation of your body, of bodies coming together, of policies, of law, of healthcare, business, all of the stuff of what it means to actually make a new world. And not even just escape, but I would argue enjoyment. What could be more honoring to the divine? What is more spiritual than enjoying this world, than enjoying wine, food, skin, touch, sunshine, snow, sunset, lake, song, walking? Are you with me on this? What could be more honoring to the divine? What's more spiritual than simply enjoying 
the fullness, the sensory fullness of this world and this life. So when she thinks he was the gardener, that brother John Juan there, the gospel Juan, I think that brother is saying a whole world of things. Jesus comes to inaugurate a new creation. Think about Jesus' baptism. At Jesus' baptism, he enters into the waters. This is in the, uh, earlier in the gospel accounts. He enters into the waters, and there's the hovering of a dove, like bird, like spirit, and then he comes out of the waters. Well, how does the whole creation story start? How, how does it start? It starts in Genesis chapter 1, with spirit enters the water, and then comes up out of the water, and out of that comes creation. It's a very poetic, beautiful image of spirit enters into the chaos, and then out of it comes all this biodiversity and fullness and overwhelming sensory images of fish and flowers and birds and creation and trees and rocks and rivers and waves. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, the Jesus baptism story is about new creation. It's like these writers never stop saying new creation, new creation. Let's make a new kind of world. There's a new creation bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. Or think about the Gospel of Luke. And this one, I'm telling you, these people were subtle in their writing. In the Gospel of Luke, he organizes his gospel around signs. There, are, You might say like demonstrations. Uh, powerful, we might say like powerful spiritual performance art, things that Jesus is doing. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus does seven signs. The whole thing is organized, organized around these seven signs. And then he dies. Well, in Jewish consciousness, what seven is what? Well, seven is a very powerful number, uh, and numbers are a huge, huge thing in the Jewish psyche, but seven signs, well, what other number is seven significant of? Oh, yeah, that's right, seven days of the week. Yeah, yeah, so the seven signs, you have, but then there's an eighth sign in the Gospel of Luke, the eighth thing that happens with Jesus. What is it? Resurrection. Yeah, well, eight would be... Well, if seven is seven days of the week, then eight would be the first day of the next week. Yeah, it would be the first day of a new week. John even says that in John 20, early on the first day of the week. You see what these writers are talking about? They're talking about a new week in the history of the world. There was the first week of the first creation, and they're speaking of a Jesus inaugurating a new week in the history of the world. Come on, yes. And you think about how many people Easter, an Easter sermon was about them. It was all about you. It was about what a wretched sinner you are. And aren't you glad that Jesus came and died on the cross so that you could be forgiven? By the way, if forgiveness is the point, that's a lame story. We're all for forgiveness. I'm all for forgiveness. I claim it. I live in it. Yes, done. Awesome. It is finished. I love it. But is that it? Forgiven, then what? Then what? Is it just, you're forgiven? Okay, you're forgiven, okay. The problem when people are told the whole point is forgiveness is they're generally quite bored because they were never taught, well, now that you're forgiven, what do you do? How about throw yourself into making a new world and joining the new creation? Right. See, now that's a whole different story. See, the resurrection story was always about you and I being caught up in something bigger than ourselves. 
Yeah, and obviously in the Orthodox tradition and and for the first thousand years of church history, resurrection was about the conquering of death. It was about how even death doesn't have the power that we think it does. So you're caught up in something as big and wide in the universe, which is a new creation, which is life and all of its raw purity and fullness surging through and you joining up with a movement as wide as the universe. Yes. See what a totally different story we're at now? Yeah, what kind of world is this? For many people, the way they were taught about Easter was this world is horrific, so just need to get out of it. But the resurrection story is about this world is our home, and it's good, and it's good to be home. Is human history just futile? Is it just bent in the wrong direction helplessly? Are we hopeless? Or is the moral arc of the universe bent towards justice? And it might take a while, but it's headed somewhere. Is there a goodness before there's anything else? Is that which is deepest within us good? Is the universe a place of generativity? Is it a Trinitarian reality where generosity is actually the song that it's singing? And is this why when you act in generosity and love, something within you says this is this is how it actually is. See, resurrection raises questions about what kind of world you believe we're living in. And here's why this is so important. If a new creation can be birthed on the other side of the death, if it's death and then resurrection, it says this world is worth saving and everything in it. And what that means is that at any moment, new creation can be birthed. That's the resurrection story. And that's why these people found it so incredibly powerful is because Caesar ruled the world 2,000 years ago. Caesar issued coins that said peace through victory. Peace through victory basically because anybody who had a problem with it, Caesar killed, right? Crucified them, slaughtered them. Like the greatest, most efficient military superpower the world had ever seen, essentially destroying everything in its path on the way to world dominance. So you had thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who'd been trampled to death in many cases, or trampled into submission by the Roman Empire. So that raises questions about what kind of world we're living in. And Jesus is a problem for the Roman Empire, so he's a problem for the Jewish establishment that's beholden to the Roman Empire. And so Jesus, eventually, he is so disruptive because he calls out the injustice of the system that he goes to his death, but he doesn't retaliate. At every stage of his arrest, imprisonment, and execution, he does not retaliate with violence. Because at any moment, if he picks up the sword or he has his students pick up their swords, if at any moment, moment he responds with violence, then he isn't bringing any sort of new creation. It's just the same old creation. It's the same old, you bomb us, we bomb you. You attack us in an airport, so we'll send a drone into your neighborhood. It's the same old back and forth, endless cycle of violence. And so Jesus goes to his death offering a better way. On the cross, he forgives those who have tortured and executed him. He goes to his death in love, forgiving his tormentors, because he comes to offer a new way. Better to be executed on a stake, 
non-violently than to retaliate with the same old violence and keep all of the same destruction in circulation. Yeah, do you see why this story raises so many questions? Do you see how powerful, do you see how moving it was? And here's why this matters. The resurrection then was always understood as a vindication. This is Jesus versus Caesar. And Jesus' resurrection was read by those first followers as a vindication of this way. Better to make a world not through coercive military violence, but the better world is made through sacrificial love. It's still the question. It's still the question. How do you make a better world? Do you make a better world through destroying everybody who opposes you? Or do you make a better world through loving your enemies? Do you make a better world through destruction, chaos, and coercive violence? Or through giving yourself to those in sacrificial love? It's still the question. And see why the story had such power is this story matters when those who are controlling the world don't have your interests at heart. So for this small minority of people who had had the boot of the Roman Empire under their neck, these were pressing questions. Do you revolt, pick up the sword, and just continue the same old history we have had already for thousands of years at that point? Or is there a new and better way? You can preach a resurrection sermon about Jesus rising from the dead and never talk about actually making a better, the the real difficult, beautiful, compelling questions about how do we make a better world. Yeah, see, resurrection is a dangerous idea if the system is rigged in your favor. Resurrection is a very, very dangerous idea if the system works for you. If you have your hands on the levers of power, if you're the one controlling the shots, resurrection is a very dangerous idea because at the heart of resurrection is the insistence that something new can be birthed. Something dead can rise from the dead. Something can be resurrected. A new creation can burst forth anytime, anywhere. You think about Rage Against the Machine, it has to start somewhere. It has to start sometime. What better place than here? What better place than now? Do you see what I'm saying? Every time you've had a sense like, why are these people in charge? Why does it have to be this way? Why do they get to call the shots when it doesn't work for everybody and actually makes things miserable? Resurrection is the belief that new life could burst forth right here. When hope seems gone, it may be moments from bursting up through the soil. So resurrection is about how we view the world. It's about having a heart to forgive your tormentors because you don't want to keep that same violence in circulation. Maybe there's somebody who's made your life miserable and everything with everything in the depths of your being is about how do I return the misery? Resurrection raises the question, can you actually stop that cycle of violence? Could you actually move towards them in love? Even if it's distance, maybe you have boundaries, maybe it's totally toxic, you have to love them from a distance, but nevertheless, if you forgive them, yeah, that's resurrection. That's resurrection. Not giving up on our common life together, our body politic, but maybe this is the exact moment when the revolution occurs. Maybe it starts with high school students who are like, wait, enough of this gun nonsense. 
This is insane. We're not going to live in a world with this kind of mass shootings. We need to change it. We need to change it now. Yeah. Yeah. Resurrection. Resurrection. Resur Resurrection never says, well, I guess this is just the way it is. Resurrection is always the belief. Yeah. It might be buried way down in the soil, but it also might spring up out of the soil. So it's both deeply personal, the resurrected Christ speaking across the ages, speaking to you of your own pain, your own loss, all the mess you've made of things, all the quiet little moments of despair and destruction. It's the insistence that all those can have been born by the Christ. They've been buried so that you can live anew. They even... Uh, some of the first Christians talked about, in the Christ, there is a new creation. So you're invited to trust this. You're invited to trust this at a deep personal level. There's nothing to prove anymore. There's no scorekeeping that's going on here. You're a daughter of the divine. You're a son of the divine. You've always been. You've always belonged. Yeah, and all the ways that we've each made a mess of things, taken care of finished, done, buried, sorted. So now live in the new life. Yeah, yeah. And throw yourself into making a new kind of world. What could be better? What could be better? And all the moments of despair, all the moments of what's the point, that might be the exact moment when something new is just bursting up through the soil. Think about how many moments in your own life you've been at the end and then the end was strangely beginning. And every one of you, my brothers and sisters in recovery, celebrating another day clean and sober, you know what I'm talking about. It was at the death. It was on the Friday. It was when things got buried. It's when you hit the wall. It's when you're at the end of yourselves, when you surrendered. It's always in those moments when the new thing is birthed, the new possibilities, the new imagination, the new futures. Yeah, so resurrection, it's not an end. It's the beginning. It's the end of one thing, but it's the beginning of a whole new thing. Maybe the end of the first week of creation. It's the first day of a new week of creation. It's about the raising of possibilities. So this early, early movement, these people took this story. They're like, there's a better way to be in the world. There's a new way to make the world. Yeah. Yeah. And we call that resurrection. She thought he was the gardener. It's so great, it's so poetic, it's so liter, it's so it's so brilliant. It's, it's so loaded with innuendo and illusion. Ah, she thinks he was the gardener. Why? Because a gardener takes care of creation. A gardener comes to order it. The gardener celebrates all the new life and the diversity and the growth and the color. A gardener prunes here, pulls up the dead stuff. Yeah, she thinks he's the gardener. <laughs> I love it. So, my friends, there's a few thoughts on resurrection. Grace and peace be with you as you open your eyes for the new creation bursting forth right here in the midst of this one.